On this episode, I'll talk about Olivia Newton-John, the crash involving Anne Heche, a disappearance from Las Vegas, and I'll discuss a whole bunch of other stuff, including how I almost cut off my left hand. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for August 8th, 2022. Okay, it must be Monday. In a past life, this would be a Wednesday. In fact, not even, just a few months ago, this would be a Wednesday, but now it's a Monday. And here we are for the live show for August 8th, 2022. I cannot believe it's already been a week. Since my birthday, I just don't know where the time goes. I just, I mean, obviously I'm a busy guy. That certainly uh, factors into a lot of it. And sometimes uh, in in my life, it is a little bit Groundhog Day. It's the same thing over and over again, it seems. And that's fine. It's all good. But, you know, I just wonder. I can't believe it was a week ago. Remember, I had the happy birthday sign hanging down here and everything. I just don't know where the time went. Since then, I've been to trivia. I went to Floral City and back. I won a disc golf tournament. I went out and hung out in a couple late-night cafes doing work till 1 in the morning. Uh, on and on and on and on. It just It's so bizarre. I just don't know where the time goes. But um, here we are, August 8th, and uh, it's, uh, so we're going to do this live show, and I got a nice lineup of news and information and insightful commentary and new, all sorts of things. As you, you know me, I bring more than enough to this live show. I, I usually, after two hours, end up having information left over, to be honest. I was, I'm always being prepared. I was never a Boy Scout, but always be prepared. I can certainly do that when it comes to doing this live show. And but before we go too far, too far into all of this, I hope you will uh, subscribe to this YouTube channel. That button is right there. I hope you will give this video a thumbs up. You know how I talk about that, and I, I, I love that um, – Many of you during the course of this live show often remind everybody else to give this uh, show a thumbs up to help us with the YouTube algorithms, however those work. Nobody has any idea what's going on with that, but allegedly. And if you feel like uh, donating or... um, you know, contributing to Unfound's uh, work that we do here, you can hit the join button right down here. And if you hit the join button, you'll see what you get for becoming a member of this channel. It's it's some nice stuff. I, I'd like to think that for the low, low price of 10 cents a day, 
you get some good things that uh, you don't get anywhere else. And it's for a very, very low price. And uh, once again, it helps us continue uh, what we do here. Of course, most of me doing the work, but as you know, my assistants, uh, they help me. For example, Sheree is in here uh, moderating uh, this show. We could not be doing this pretty much without her because we have had a uh, kind of a sex troll in the last few weeks. Imagine that. And uh, as you know, for example, my assistant Eric does Unfound on the Ground for some of the premium Patreon members. Uh, assistant Carrie right now is working with a former guest uh, doing some FOIAs and some things. So we're doing this stuff. And so if you support what we're doing, I hope you will uh, you know, subscribe to this channel, give it a thumbs up, consider joining this channel. Um, we have patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And we also have paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Always doing stuff here. So let's see who is in here on this August 8th. Charles, nephew Charles got in first. I love it. And actually, Charles has a birthday coming up here soon. And Tech Death, Tech Death Hippie. Wow. Yo to you, Tech Death. Hello, Kathy. The Roracle, good to talk to you uh, yesterday. Uh, the Roracle, in fact, the Roracle made it possible for this coming Friday's guest to be on Unfound, and I cannot thank you enough, the Roracle. Jasmine, Suzanne, it does go by fast, the Roracle. Valerie, Lisa, Paula, Twinkle, thank you for moderating, Cherie, with the, the Rock On signs. Um, so there you go. Uh, Everybody is in here, and so let's get this live show started. Uh, as I said uh, just a couple minutes ago, that one of the things I have I did do since last Monday when I turned 52 is I went to a one-round disc golf tournament up there in Floral City, which is one of my favorite courses. I think I like it because it's kind of a unique Florida course in that there's not any water on it. There aren't a ton of trees, and it, but it has some elevation. So it might be, of course, more like what you might find like in Las Vegas or in Pennsylvania where I've played. It's kind of a unique course. The only problem with the course is that it's uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And to get there, at least to get here there from Clearwater Beach, takes about an hour and 40 minutes. And most of the problem is me getting over to the highway the 275 to drive up there that then connects to the 75 i got a lot of lights to go through before i can get to a true highway but when there are tournaments there i like to play there because i really uh, like that course and i have played well there at times but you should also know that in the depths of my uh yips from a few years ago, I shot two of the worst rounds in my disc golf history on that course. That's also true. So I um, have played well there, but then on the other hand, uh, just bad, bad, the worst ever. But I got my first win there 
on Friday. And it's the first win in the intermediate division that I've gotten since 2015. Now, I've had some wins, as you know, this year, but that was playing in the age-protected division of uh, guys 50 years and older, amateur 50-year-old guys 50 and older. And on Friday, I got to – I decided to play in intermediate because I need more points, and you get more points playing in intermediate because more people are in that division – and I ended up winning, and I ended up winning, winning by three shots, which is not something I could have predicted. Uh, we only played one round, but we were playing from the short tees, which means like the average throw off the tee was only like maybe 250 feet. There are a couple par fours that are 400-some feet, but most of them are like 230, 240, 250-foot shots. And really, that usually causes you know, a lot of players who don't throw far to be competitive. And so you expect that the field's going to be very bunched up and somebody's only going to win by a stroke and it's, everybody's going to shoot, shoot well under par. And a lot of people did shoot under par, but for somehow I ended up winning by three strokes, which is not something I kind of went up there thinking, you know, if I play well, I have a chance of winning an intermediate. There was like 12 or 13 guys in the division. Looking at the competition, I was like, I think if I play well, I have a really good chance to win. But once again, when you're playing, when you're having baskets that aren't that far away, brings in a lot of players. Somebody could get hot. Somebody who's not that great of a player could get hot and shoot a hot round, it can happen. It sure it surely can happen. But it didn't happen on Friday. And so I ended up winning by three shots. I shot 12 under, 20 baskets. I had 12 birdies, no bogeys. And the next closest guy was uh, nine under. And, and then there was an eight under, seven under. So it was really nice. And so that is my ninth win ever. And it's my... Fifth win, fifth win this year, which is crazy. Now, granted, it's because partly because I'm playing an MA50, smaller, smaller division and everything. But that is my fifth win in a division this year, which is not something I ever could have predicted a year ago. Never. I mean, I'd won, I won a couple times in 2021, but it was really luck. But... um. If somebody would have told me going into this year that I would have five wins, and it's not—it's only August, and I'm going to be playing some other tournaments, certainly um, maybe five or six, seven tournaments before the end of the year. So I have a chance to get to double-digit tor- wins in my career. I could have never predicted that uh, a year ago. Uh, so I certainly think that some of the sports psychology that I've um, – you know, gotten some help regarding that over the past year, really starting in September of last year. And granted, I didn't play well at Worlds, but, and I had uh, beat myself up quite a bit (laughs) because of that. Then driving to Ohio and Pennsylvania and back to Florida, I did a lot of bad self-talk over all those miles about how I played up there. But I've become a kind of much more objective about it. 
and really looking at how I played and it wasn't a yip situation. I just made a lot of mistakes that are not, were not attributable to anything of me being nervous or anything, which just a lot of, you know, poor, poor choices, which can be fixed. Those, you know, fixing ch- bad choices is easy. You get into the yips though, as I learned, it's a lot harder to fix. So I went up there, um, saw a bunch of people I knew on Friday, had a great time, shot well, had a big smile on my face the whole time, which is always good for playing anything well, and got to hang around and waited till everybody else in the intermediate finished. And then I got to collect my winnings and I got to pick out some discs that I needed. So it was a very good Friday and it was a very nice ride back home and to be honest with you here we are what is it three days later and i'm still kind of glowing a little bit due to that win because i like to win and i certainly like to win uh when i win my by multiple strokes (laughs) when it's not even a contest so and this is nothing against anybody else this is not personal uh, against any other competitor who was there i played uh, i played with uh, some guys i'd never met before uh, good guys. We had a good card. They were very complimentary of uh, me winning at the end. So it was all good. Really good time. Uh, yeah, the Oracle, you're, thank you. You're most welcome. Barbara says she made it. Hello, Barbara. How are you? What's going on where you are, Barbara? And Ferry, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You're very kind. <laughs> Kathy says short T-champ at 1,200. Yes. I'm a short T champ, Kathy. But, you know, the big deal regarding, and it was just once again a one-round tournament, and it was a precursor, it was a setup for what happened, what went on on Saturday. It was an all-women's tournament. And I think some of you saw that Unfound was a, a, a sponsor of that women's tournament. I fully, I think the disc golf, of course, you know, I like disc golf anyway, but I think that it's in particular, I think it's a great sport for women. I fully support women taking an interest in the sport. Uh, I have a lot of respect. All the women that I've met that played disc golf, I uh, really like them a lot. I think they have a great attitude um, and that somebody was, there was this global type of thing on Saturday and Sunday for just women in tournaments. And so that's what that was. So on Saturday on that same course, it was nothing but women playing and there were over a hundred players there. I was not there. I had work to do uh, for unfound uh, of course, but I was a sponsor. Unfound was a sponsor. uh, My buddy Kevin uh, took some pictures. In fact, he's like an assistant tournament director for it. Um, for the event on Saturday, he took some pictures and I posted those. And if this is maybe kind of deja vu, I did the same thing last year. Uh, they had, they had the women's event at my local course over here at Taylor and unfound was a sponsor over there as well. So, uh, always want to support women getting involved in the sport. And so I think the, uh, event on Saturday was a success even though uh, I was not there last year, I actually volunteered because it was right down the street. I was a spotter on one of the uh, baskets over there, but 
like I said, Floral City a little bit out of the way. And I have to admit, maybe had I been able to find an Airbnb up there, because there are no hotels up there. Uh, if I'd have been able to find an Airbnb that was like a reasonable price, maybe I would have stayed over on Friday night over to Saturday and volunteered. It kind of would have had to put off a lot of work that I needed to do for Unfound on Saturday. I probably could have done that, but it just wasn't in the cards. So after Friday's round that I played, uh, I just drove back here and uh, supported with uh, monetary contribution and there in spirit. So there you go. And once again, if you were watching uh, tonight live or watching this later, please give this video a thumbs up. Do not forget to do that on your tablet, on your, um, maybe you're watching just on a regular old, uh, your phone, a laptop, desktop, top, tablet, whatever it may be. Please give this video a, uh, you know, this show a thumbs up. And we'll keep um, bringing that up as we uh, progress through the show for the next hour and 45 minutes. Uh, The the reason this is also a big deal is because there's going to be a much bigger tournament on that same course in September. And I've already signed up for that. Uh, My very good friend, Dana, you may, some of you may remember Dana. He uh, went with me to the Judas Priest concert last year. We had a great time. Uh, that was both of our first time seeing uh, Judas Priest over in Orlando. Had a great time doing that. Um, he is an assistant tournament director for that uh, tournament in September. Not the first weekend, so it's not Labor Day weekend. It's the weekend after. And so I'll be playing there. So it's on the same course. But this will be a two-day event, three rounds, both from the long pads and short pads. So long tees and short tees, I guess, for ball golf people. And so it was good to get up there, play there, play well. I guess in a way it was kind of a practice round. So hopefully that will set me up for playing well again come September. And I'm not playing in any PDGA-rated rated events between now and then. I was going to play over in Orlando, but I don't think that tournament's going to happen this year. Usually they have a big tournament on Labor Day weekend. And I actually had reserved an Airbnb to stay over there, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I canceled my Airbnb and at least got my deposit back. And trust me, there's going to be enough uh, tournaments to play this um, fall. But I do like like the, the courses over in Orlando. Of course, my first tournament I ever won was over in Orlando. So it still holds a very special place in my heart, even though last year at Worlds in Orlando, I played horribly. So, and if you're wondering, Masters Worlds next year is in Kingman, Arizona, or not Kingman, Flagstaff, Arizona. And I do anticipate being there, getting there uh, one way or another. So uh, hopefully uh, next year I can redeem myself. So hello, Marlene. I saw you get in there, Marlene, with the uh, smiley face. Look at you. And Raw Olympia, look, how are you? Uh, thanks. Well, you're, you're welcome, uh, <laughs> Raw. And Marlene, there you go, Marlene, Jasmine. Everybody's talking to each other, saying hello to each other. That's very kind. So that's what's going on in my disc golf world. So between, that was, 
I turn 52 and I win a tournament five days later on August 5th. Gotta love that. I already have a win in for my being 52. Gotta love it. So there you go. Moving on, uh, you know, August, you know, it's kind of weird. We, we are now in the season of the Leo, uh, late July into August. I think all of you know the astrological sign is the Leo. That's, of course, what I am being born August 1st. And I'll, I'll say this. It's amazing. You know, I just don't know what it is. And I'm not, a, you know, a believer in that type of stuff. Although I, I'm sure some people might say that I have many of the qualities of a Leo, whatever those qualities are supposed to be. I've been told that before. But just on the personal side, it's really weird in my life how when it's come to like girlfriends or with women who – uh, I've gotten along with like really, really well. It's amazing how many of them have also been Leos. It's really, it's really weird. It's really, really weird. It, uh, when I think about, um, I have an ex-girlfriend whose birthday was August 5th. I have an ex-girlfriend whose birthday uh, was just yesterday, August 7th. I have an ex-girlfriend, um, whose birthday is coming up. I think her birthday is August 12th or 13th. She's also a Leo. It's really, really weird. Uh, I dated a woman in Las Vegas who was born the day before I was, like July 31st, 1970. And it's almost kind of like, almost become a, a, a thing where, you know, when I do meet, people especially women i can almost tell i bet she's a leo even though i don't believe in any of this stuff it's really well now that's not to say that i don't get i haven't had uh relationships or, or girlfriends in other astrological signs surely i have and in fact uh a, a woman who's you know one of my closest um you know best friends you know confidant of all time she's not a leo you know, and I could say, you know, that about maybe some other women who are very close to me, aren't? But it's just really weird. It's what you might say an inordinate um, number or an inordinate percentage of um, them are Leos. Man, it's just I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's something. On that topic, uh, like I said, one of my ex girlfriend's birthdays was yesterday, and what's weird is. Her birthday and my longtime best friend of all time, Doug, his birthday was also yesterday. And then on top of that, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, his birthday was yesterday, August 7th. So, and I even posted that on my, uh, on my Facebook page, my private Facebook page about how August 7th, you know, has like, it's like this nexus of some something when all of these things kind of come together. Um, you know, ex-girlfriend who I'm still friends with, uh, best friend, uh, one of my best friends of all time, Doug, and then the lead singer of my favorite band, his birthday is August 7th. I don't know what it is. Now, on the other hand, Def Leppard's lead singer, Joe Elliott, what's his birthday? August 1st. And of course, Def Leppard is one of my um, favorite bands, too. 
So there's just something about this time of year, late July, early August, that um, it, it's just there's just something going on there. Uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but it's, I'm fascinated by it. Even though in general I don't believe in any of this stuff, so go figure. Shri says, "Same. I'm a Scorpio, and I'm seriously I've seriously dated three Scorpios. Not a good combination." Huh. Okay. The Oracle's also a Scorpio. Marlene says her husband is a Scorpio. Um, and uh, Marlene says she's a Capricorn. Um, my mother was a Scorpio. She was uh, October 25th. Uh, was her birthday. And so my dad's birthday is December 1st. So what would that be? Uh, I do know that after Leo comes Virgo, and that's what my brother Brian is. His birthday is September 2nd. So um, here we are talking about astrological signs tonight. Who, who, who would have thunk it? Kathy says, well, Marlene, you and I are both dedicated unfound members, have been an unfound. Yes, you have. Thank you, Kathy. Fairy Sagittarius is uh, December 1st. Thank you, uh, Sagittarius. Okay, so my dad, dad is a Sagittarius. And I know that um, late February into March are Pisces. For some reason, I know that. All right. So there's a little Leo birthday uh, stuff going on there uh, that I wanted to talk about. Uh, August 1st, August 7th, all these August birthdays of ex-girlfriends and things. It's just weird. So we'll move on to this. Now, some of you may remember uh, that I told you that um, – a uh, a dedicated listener. In fact, she's in the think tank. She had gotten me a Amazon card, gift card for my birthday. Deeply appreciated. And I think I told you last week that I spent uh, that card getting some new knives. Needed some sharp knives from that place. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I almost put off my disc golf playing career uh for w- quite a while for what i did on uh, just about did on saturday so the day after the tournament um I, I think you can see this uh can you see that where is it right there do you see that right there the camera's not the greatest but there it is do you see these cuts up there that happened due to uh one of the knives that i got uh, from Amazon. I, I was very, very fortunate that it was not worse than that. These bled for a little bit and uh, it was, a, it didn't hurt, but all of you have kind of cut yourself. It didn't hurt, but it feels really weird. It was that kind of thing. It didn't hurt, but I could tell, de- I did it as soon as I did it. I was like, oh, I wonder how bad that's going to be. But here's what I was doing. And this just shows you why I shouldn't have sharp things in the house uh, in this place. And it's been a long running joke for many, many years that I try to try to stay away from sharp objects. And even when I worked at seven 11, I cut one of my fingers really bad with a box cutter one day when I worked at seven 11. But anyway, so I have this, as you know, I have this George Foreman grill and I cook, I use it a lot between hamburgers, hot dogs, and once in a while, I get steaks, but steaks, of course, due to inflation, have gotten a little expensive recently. But 
I'll get hamburger patties and hot dogs and I cook them on the grill. I love it. Love it. What I do with the hot dogs is I cut them long ways. I kind of split them and then, you know, fold, you know, unfold them like, and then put them down flat in the grill. Because if you just put the, the, the hot dogs in there, they kind of want to roll out because it, you know, the, the oven is like at an angle uh, because, you know, that's how all the fat drains off into the little catch thing. So what I do is I cut them long ways, not the whole way through, but most of the way, and then spread them open and put them in the grill and then put the grill down. That's how I cook them. Well, I've been cutting them, but I've been using this really crappy knife that I've had. And, you know, so I'm not, you know, I have no hesitancy doing this. Well, on Saturday was the first time I got to use one of these new knives doing this. And boy, that knife went right through that hot dog. And so I'm holding the hot dog like this and I have the knife come down and that's how I did that. Luckily, I caught myself. Luckily. Or I could have um, easily been on my way to the emergency room very quickly. And in fact, I'm sure that it would have been something, you know, this is my left hand. If you don't know, I'm mostly right-handed. I write right-handed, I eat right-handed, but I'm athletically left-handed. And if that had gotten any worse, my disc golf uh, playing would have been put off for quite a long time. Luckily, it was only that. As you can tell, it bled a little bit, but it really was really not that big deal. Actually, this little thing up here bled more than this did down here. But wow, it was close. And so I'm really going to have to just really, really watch myself. And, um, and on top of everything else, I hate the sight of blood. <laughs> so if it really, you know, it's one of those things that cutting your hand really bad is bad enough as it is, but I can, I can absolutely guarantee you had that happened and I cut my hand really bad, I probably would have fainted too. So I'd be there on the, you know, I would have fainted right there on the kitchen floor, <laughs> my hand bleeding. And I'm going to bleed out or something. Could have easily happened. See, this is this is one of those perils you have to think about when you live by yourself. So <laughs> luckily that didn't happen. It didn't get in the way of, um, you know, cooking or anything. But um, it could have been bad. And I'm glad it wasn't. I ran it under cold water. Uh, and the, the other good thing was that you know, there is, you know, you know, when you're cooking and you use a knife, then you start worrying, you know, and you got hot dogs, you start worrying, is this going to be infected somehow? And it's not, it, it, it doesn't even, it's nothing. It's nothing now, but, um, there was some dicey seconds. Cause I knew as soon as I did it, as soon as I felt that blade at my skin, I was like, uh Oh, so that's, what's going on with the new knives. But the I will tell you the knives that I got, um, you know, cutting up those chicken wing pieces um, this past week. I think I, I I made them for my birthday, and then a couple days after, oh, it's spectacular. The knives are spectacular. So you know who you are. Who sent me the Amazon card? Uh, that was that the that card was well spent, and I deeply deeply appreciate you thinking of me on my birthday. And I think I spent, uh, the money on that card in a very smart way, even though I almost did, uh, slice my hand in half. (laughs) 
So what's everybody saying here? Um, uh, they get along Sagittarian Scorpios. Marlene, yes, Kathy, I'm a dedicate. Okay. Uh, Twinkle says, Leo women are special. Twinkle, I agree. Kathy says, I'm a Gemini. Don't fit this sign at all. Marlene, I used to have a George Foreman grill years ago. It was great. Well, Marlene, you should get another one. I've had mine for, I don't know, over a year. And I love it. I absolutely, I mean, I know it's like, you know, it's rudimentary cooking or something, but I love it. I use it a lot, probably three days a week. And it's not as big as my dad. My dad has one that is much bigger than mine, but it's good enough for, for my uses. And it is just the best thing ever. Um, Fairy says, asked me, is really, really, really Pittsburghese? No, it's not fairy. It's just, it's just an Ed Denzel-ism. Um, I don't know where, where that comes from, but uh, I, for some reason, I like, as you know, fairy. If you, of course, listen to Unfound a lot, I like listing things in threes. I don't know what it is, and so just using really once sometimes isn't enough. But then you say it twice, and that doesn't doesn't feel right. And then you get the three really, really, reallys. And it has kind of a nice musical rhythm, like triplets and music or something, being that I'm a musician. It, but it's not Pittsburghy, surely not. That's just something that I've created over the years, whether it's uh, when I say like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I always say it three times or very, very, very. But it's not Pittsburghese. Twinkle, I got new knives after dealing with dull ones for many years. It actually scared me a bit to use them. Uh, yes. Um, yes, it can be. It was a little scary, Twinkle. And I, I have to admit that, um, like, there's a reason maybe I'm not I, – I try not to be around many sharp things. Jordan says, uh, I'm an Aquarius. Okay. Fairy says, are you sure? I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure. <laughs> There you go. There's another one. And finally, before we get to any uh, true crime, missing persons, unfound stuff, I got, I uh, got a new, uh, I got an electric toothbrush, and boy, um, boy, have have I been missing things. And this is a recommendation. Maybe I talked about this last week, but uh, the woman who cleaned my teeth told me I should probably get one, and I have, and. Uh, Man, that's so much easier than using like a regular 20th century toothbrush. I should have done this years ago. So I'm um, doing that because I got to work on these bottom teeth in the back. All right, let's move on. Uh, Now that we got all the personal uh, stuff out of the way. uh, By the way, I'm hoping everybody after the live show last week got their newsletter. And maybe I'm going to talk about a little bit about that here in a little bit about um, some of you uh, responded to it, especially given what I wrote like toward the end of the newsletter, given that it came out on my birthday, just kind of thinking about turning 52 and doing this podcast for almost six years and everything, kind of doing a little reflecting there. And I wrote a little bit about myself and some of you uh, responded to that, sent me some very nice emails regarding that. And I might get into that bef- again before we are done tonight. But let's move on to 
the true crime part of the program, the unfound part of the program. I got some news stories, uh, and I, I did hear today that Olivia Newton-John died. Very sad. Uh, she fought cancer uh, going back, uh, what, 30 years? And uh, unfortunately, all these years later, it finally uh, uh, got her. But I do want to talk about that. Uh, yeah, I'm not the... I wouldn't say I was the biggest Olivia Newton-John fan, but I do want to talk about her because she kind of is connected to a disappearance. So I, I hope to cover that before we are done. And uh, so we got some other things. I want to talk about uh, Amanda Fravel a little bit uh, is on the agenda. And I also want to talk about this this uh Young man whose name was Jack Elliott. He died. Elliot. He died a couple years ago, and they thought it was an accident. And now it's coming out that it wasn't an accident at all. So, got some things on the agenda that I want to talk about. National news before we're done, but we'll start with some unfound news first. And you know where we always start. We always start with the uh, the unfound poll. I put it in the discussion group every Saturday morning. And I want to kind of see what everybody is thinking regarding the disappearance for that week. And, of course, this past Friday was the disappearance of the Pickering Six. That's what I'm calling them. These young men who disappeared uh, in the early morning hours of March 18th of 1995 uh, from Pickering, Ontario, Canada. So we've gone to Canada, what, three times this uh, year, 2022, after not going there uh, for a disappearance for a while, three times this year, I think that's pretty good. And so in the discussion group, I had posted the poll asking, what do you think happened? Was this an accident out in the lake in which all of them got killed? Uh, were all of them killed by foul play? Did all of them kind of uh, run off to parts unknown, deciding to leave their lives? I, I left a couple different, I think there was at least four different choices there. And about 70% of you picked that they were the victims of a boating accident. All six of them died in some sort of boating accident uh, in the early morning hours. They got that Boston Whaler boat. They go out into Lake Ontario. Something happens. And for some reason, they haven't been found. Now, in the think tank, uh, if you want to become a member of the think tank, just go to patreon.com forward slash uh, unfound podcast. If you'd like to become a member, you'd have to sign up at the $12 a month level or above. Of course, you get a lot of cool other things besides that. So if you want to check that out, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. There are level levels that are cheaper than that one, but of course you get less. You can find it all at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. But yesterday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, is when the think tank gets together. We discussed the disappearance of the Pickering Six, and pretty much 100% people decided that it was a boating accident of some type. Um, whether it was, you know, hitting, running into something out there in the water. Or were they messing around and somehow flipped the boat over? Or, and I'll get into my personal theory here in a moment, at least a short version of it. But one way or the other, 
the think tank members believed that they died due to some sort of boating accident out in Lake Ontario. Now, for me, I also believe that. I subscribe to what most of the people in the discussion group said. I agree with what just about everybody said in the think tank in that it was a boating accident. I reject the idea that there was some sort of foul play. That's not a criticism of Bruce, who was the guest. Um, he's He's free to think what he wants. As you know, I don't argue theories with people. Uh, and I'll help out Bruce in whatever way he wants, but I think you got the idea kind of listening between the lines that he thought that, in fact, I think toward the end of the interview, he just came out and said that he thought it was drug-related, drug trafficking, drug smuggling. He brought up that teacher in the same school district where some of these boys went that eventually was charged with drug possession and selling and everything. It's just way too complicated for me to think that they all went down there and they were smuggling drugs and they got caught up in something and they all were uh, murdered due to this. That doesn't even happen in the United States. Now, it does happen in Mexico. We know of the cartel wars that go down there and groups of people are killed 6, 10, 15, 20 due to the drug wars that happen in Mexico. But even in here in the United States, we have a lot of shootings here. We have a lot of murders here. And we certainly do have some mass killings, but none of them are over drugs. This is not um, usually what we have like Uvalde and, and Columbine school shootings or mall shootings. We had this nightclub shooting uh, some years ago over in Orlando. None of that had anything to do with drug smuggling, drug dealing, drug selling, or anything like that. So because of that, I have to then be inclined to believe that these guys going missing didn't have anything to do with that either. I think that this disappearance is fairly straightforward in understanding that they went out the, uh, on the uh, lake and something happened. What's hard to figure out is what exactly did happen. It was an accident, but how did that accident occur? I have to tell you that I'm inclined to believe that maybe they were messing around with things on the boat. And many of you know, if you've gone boating, especially in smaller boats like this Boston Whaler or a bass boat, something like that, or a ski boat, you know that they have these drain plugs that should never be taken out while the boat is in the water, because the boat will sink. I'm inclined to believe something like that happened. Given that the boat was never found, given that the bodies have never been found, if they had hit into something, I would start thinking, well, then maybe wouldn't pieces of the boat maybe be floating, or the boat would be flipped over and floating. But if you pull the drain plug on any type of boat, it's going to sink. It's just a matter of not if, it's when. And I just wonder if one of them pulled that plug just messing around. Or maybe one of them had a death wish. Maybe one of them, you know, was depressed over something, get out on the water. And once that plug's pulled, you're not getting it back in because of the water pressure. The water pressure will not allow you to put the plug back in. 
that's my own personal theory that, that, that that's what happened. And I would compare it. Maybe some of you have unfortunately gotten in the car with somebody who's been drinking. Maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you were young and stupid or whatever, and you're going down the road, um, you know, weaving in and out of cars, at least in those circumstances, you maybe have a chance to jump out of the car. You might break some bones or something, but at least you can can open a door and kind of roll out. Maybe the car will slow down. Maybe he's turning or the driver's turning and really slows down and you can jump out. Yes, you probably are going to break some bones, but you'll live. Whereas uh, if you're on the boat and you're with somebody who's drinking and maybe a few people have been drinking and you're out in a boat where there's no lights and maybe you can't see shore anymore. If something happens and somebody does something stupid, especially in water that would have been cold like Lake Ontario, that's way worse than being in a car with a drunk driver. Multiple, multiple, multiple times worse. Like I said, you can always jump out of the car. You can't jump out of a boat in the middle of Lake Ontario. So that's the way I look at these disappearances. Like I said, if Bruce believes that there was foul play or something like that, I'm not here to argue with him. He wants to, uh, I'll continue to uh, talk to him. If he wants to ask me questions and opinions, I will give him my best advice. But it's always going to come from a standpoint of, you know, I'm just going to look at the facts. There, there are no facts to support the idea that, uh, you know, this was drug-related. I guess there are no facts to support that there was an accident either. But there are way more boating accidents than there are uh, drug shootouts that kill multiple people. That's the way I would probably reason it out. So I'm glad that we got to cover uh, th this group of disappearances. I want to thank Think Tank member Jill, who had suggested this to me not very long ago, maybe only a month ago or something. And I got on it very quickly. She sent it to me. I was like, man, that's a great idea. And I was able to track Bruce down, and uh, he was more than willing to talk. And I think you see why. I think he was a great guest. Smart guy, organized guy. And even though I don't agree with him regarding his theory, we need more people like Bruce out there, surely. We need more people like him. We need more people like Kelly Bruce slash, uh, is it Kochnauer or Kochnauer? Koch Kochnauer, um, you know, we need more people like that working on these cases and less people like some people we know. <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, the poll. Most people uh, have decided that it was an accident, although kind of trying to narrow down what that accident could have been. There's a lot of different possibilities. Moving on. Um, some work is being done. And I'll probably say more about this in the update episode, which is going to be coming out in a few weeks. Some work is being done. Some good work right now is being done regarding uh, the disappearance of Paul Sanders. This is a disappearance that we covered earlier this year. This is a disappearance you, uh, to remind you that uh, he was uh, out of the Phoenix, Mesa, Arizona area, the Glendale area. And seemingly his father and his stepmother had gone to Vegas, so he's home by himself. 
He's driving his truck around. It gets pulled over uh, down near Tucson, and he pull the truck pulls over. But then the truck takes off. The police try to pursue it. There's a rainstorm. The truck gets away, and then later the truck is found, and Paul is missing. Well, a lot of work is, has been done since that episode came out. There's some filings of some FOIAs, uh, getting a lot of information, and including uh, one of my assistants who has been working on this with a listener and Paul's sister who was the guest for the, this episode. And so progress is certainly uh, being made, and it very well be. be I don't. I don't know what to think of it right at the second. I've not had a chance to look at the information. Um, Coconauer Puma says, uh, pronounced Coconauer. Thank you, uh, Kelly Bruce. Her last name is now Coconauer, and maybe I should know that since I was at her wedding. <clears throat> Thank you, uh, Puma, for that. Deeply appreciated. Um. But maybe things uh, might not be as they seemed regarding Paul's disappearance. Like I said, I've not had a chance to look at the information that they've gotten. I haven't had time to do that. But it may be. And I think probably I'll be able to say more about this when the update episode, which, like I said, will be coming out uh, two weeks uh, from this Friday, so the last Friday of August, we're due for another update episode. This will be update episode number 12. But the most important part I think about this is that I, I want you all to understand that, as I've stated many times, that Unfound is more than just a podcast. Uh, just within the last uh, 10 days, I had a phone call with another former guest. She's very frustrated what's been going on with the police department regarding the case, that she, the disappearance that she's connected to, things like that. I do that probably more than you realize. Uh, people getting involved, uh, one of my assistants getting involved with a family and a listener working on Paul's disappearance. This is the kind of stuff that I love to hear. And as you know, I go and speak at schools. In fact, that's going to be happening very shortly here in September. I think my first speaking engagement in September will be at a school over in Lakeland, Florida, which is on the way over to Orlando. I'm really looking forward to that. I'll be going down to Nova Southeastern University uh, just a couple of days after that to see Dr. Telesco again. In fact, we're going to do her show and I'm going to speak down there on the same day. But this is... um. You know, a very good way of showing, I, I think, everybody that Unfound is more than just a podcast that gets put together that comes out every Friday. There are many things that go on behind the scenes, and sometimes I can talk about them, sometimes I can't. But this is a good example of that. And we have to remember, Paul's disappearance didn't just happen within the last couple of years. His disappearance is like 20 years old. And so to be able to jump into something like that, like these three people have his sister, a listener, and one of my assistants, and start digging up some new information, maybe looking at that information in a new way, uh, especially since I know that my assistant 
and uh, the listener are very experienced now with disappearance, looking at disappearances and, and things. Um, you know, it's so good. And this is something that I don't think I ever could have predicted when I started Unfound almost six years ago. It's fascinating to me. And I certainly hope some progress can be made. As you know, I don't necessarily care about being right regarding a particular theory. If these uh, people who are working on this, you know, come up with some facts that certainly, certainly, certainly show that Paul didn't just take off by himself, that somebody else was driving his truck that day and everything, fine by me. Fine by me. Even though my opinion on his disappearance right now is something different. But these are the kind of things that go on here, even though I'm not necessarily involved in it, but that these people get so inspired, uh, you know, because of me interviewing Paul's sister. You know, what can I say? It's just fantastic. It just really is. Uh, Puma says, I have a friend, same last name. Thank you. Well, that, that certainly would help, Puma. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Um, uh, fairies, they were definitely, uh, the, the boys on the boat going back to the Pickering Six, they were definitely carrying on, Fairy, for sure. The Oracle says, if you don't know what you're doing while boating, it can be bad. I grew up on the lake and was taught about boats at an early age. Maybe they did not know what the plug was for. Very, very possible. Very, very uh, possible. And uh, and especially since uh, they had been drinking, and especially it was said that there were drugs at this party. Who knows what they were thinking? So, all right. So that's a, an update with uh, Paul Sanders. There's work being done behind the scenes. Could be pointing in a direction that we might have to start thinking foul play for his disappearance, although I don't think... We're near that yet. Moving on. Uh, regarding this, this live show that now plays on Mondays, and this is especially relevant to anybody who is listening to this as an audio show on the podcast feed for the regular Friday episode. Uh, I'm going to start announcing this um, probably before uh, a lot of things, before September gets here. In September, this Live show, its audio form of this live show is going to have its own podcast feed. Meaning to listen to it as a podcast, you're going to have to sign up. Just like all of you so graciously over the years have signed up to subscribe to the regular Friday episodes that have been happening now all these years now. To listen to this live show, the audio version of it, it will not be on the same feed as the Friday episodes starting in September. Okay, so I know this is a relatively new thing. We have, we have five and a half years or even longer than that of just the Friday episodes as a podcast. Then at the beginning of the summer, I started turning this into an audio show. Okay, of course, I'd hope that everybody would make time on their Monday nights to watch live, but I know sometimes that's not possible. That's one of the reasons, though, that I do the uh, convert it to an audio show. But starting in September, this is going to have its own feed. So it's going to be like a new podcast. So envision there's some new podcast that starts. You want to listen to it. You want to subscribe to it. You got to go hit the subscribe button for it. 
this is what you're going to have to do with the live show starting in September. It will not, you will not automatically get it just because you are a subscriber to the unfound podcast. Okay. And I, this is the first time I'm bringing this up, but you uh, sure can surely know between now and September, I'm going to say this many, 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 many times. I've already talked to megaphone and Spotify about it. In fact, today I spoke to the woman who first contacted me about becoming part of Spotify. She thinks it's a fantastic idea. Um, there's directions on how to do this. It, she, you know, it's going to be fine. I just have to do it, and I will make it happen at the beginning of September. So that's your first warning for all of you audio people. That if you like this live show, think it's interesting, so maybe I say some funny things here. I talk about myself. I talk about things outside of true crime. If you're listening to this and liking this right now, come September, it will have its own feed and you will have to subscribe. It'll still be free. No money involved or anything like that, but you'll have to subscribe to it to get it in your feed. It will be its own entity. So there you go. Um, all right, moving on. Um, upcoming episodes. I just mentioned that the update episode will be coming out in a couple Fridays. Uh, but this Friday, we're going to have a disappearance. In fact, I will talk about that disappearance at the end of this episode, uh, this live show, as I always do. I will be doing the interview for next Friday's uh, episode on Wednesday night. Looking forward to that, of course. And then the, the Friday after that will be the last Friday of August. That will be update episode number 12. So I'll go back to the beginning and tell you about everything that has happened in certain cases since the last update episode at the end of April. And then the first Friday of September, that will be the sixth anniversary episode where I replay the first interview I ever did with Mary Lyle. And then I'm pretty sure, although I don't have the, I haven't done the interview outline yet, but I am very, very, very sure that um, the second Friday of September will, of course, going back to disappearances. And this is going to be uh, another disappearance that was recommended uh, by a listener some months ago. And it's just kind of taken some time to put it all together. And I've had some correspondence with a person who has been working on this disappearance for quite a while. She knows, I think, everything there is to know about it. She is not a fam family member, unfortunately, but uh, I, I have full confidence uh, in this person, having been talking to her for a couple months now about this disappearance. She sent me a lot of material. We've had a lot of back and forths over Messenger. And is this a well-known disappearance? I don't know, but it does seem like a lot of people know about it. I wouldn't say it's to the level of Jody Hoosentruth or Brian Schaefer. But it does seem to me my perception is that uh, quite a few people uh, know about this disappearance. And somebody recommended it to me. Tried to contact the family. They've kind of blown me off. But in doing so, I ran across, um, let's just say maybe a Kelly Bruce Koch Kokenauer type. Uh, somebody like that who's been working on this disappearance for a while, doing good, good work. And so I want to recognize her good work on this disappearance. She's done a lot. 
So I think that that second Friday in September, she will be the guest. And so, um, you know me, I always like when these things are kind of planned out well in advance, even though for the most part, we only, I don't do interviews until like a week or 10 days before the episode is due to come out. But I like when I can look ahead that far and say, yeah, everything is kind of lined up really well and everything that kind of brings my stress level down. Although I would not say that I'm a very stressed person. Uh, Moving on. Zoe Campos, uh, a listener, Paula, I think maybe Paula, are you in here tonight? Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe was your, uh, let me see here. Yeah, you're in here, Paula. Okay. So Paula, you see her in the chat. I don't mind, um, telling everybody this, but she is my kind of my contact over there in Texas for what is going on with, um, Carlos Rodriguez and his trial that is due to be coming up. And I'm not going to get into all the specifics, probably. Obviously, when the update episode comes in a couple weeks, maybe the, the trial will be done by now, and then I'll have a huge update regarding Zoe Campus's uh, uh, murder and Carlos Rodriguez's trial and everything that's gone on, because that's supposed to start happening, I think, next Monday. <clears throat> but Paula has been telling me that uh, they had some meetings of the lawyers in front of the judge. And in fact, I think Paula, you were there and uh, Carlos, uh, what his lawyer was trying to get the judge to do was to throw out Carlos's confession that he made regarding Zoe's, Zoe's murder. Um, this is a confession he made way back in 2018 to um, when he got, you know, taken in and they were trying to get it thrown out saying it was, wasn't taken the right way. They violate his rights, things like that. Um, but they are not uh, going to throw that confession out. So that will be part of the trial. And I will even tell you what I told Paula when she, cause she was there to hear all of this. And then was also there when the judge made his decision or heard, I don't even know if it's a female, could be a female judge for all I know, but the judge made the decision. And I even said to Paula when she told me this, I said, I wonder if now this is even going to go to trial. I start wondering, being that this confession is not going to be thrown out, is it possible that Carlos might just take a deal to just save everybody the time? Uh, It does seem to me that this was one of the, Maybe this is why it's taken so long. They were trying to put this all together. I don't know. But his confession uh, that he made to investigators at the time is going to be included in the trial if the trial even takes place. And as we all know, sometimes it looks like a trial is going to take place, and then it doesn't. I ran into that a few years ago. Uh, I was supposed to go up to be... uh, you know, be considered for jury duty. And the very day before I was supposed to go up there, uh, it was called off and the parties had come to some sort of agreement. I don't think it was a murder case, but you know, if they give him, if they give Carlos some deal, maybe he'll take it at this point, given that his words are now going to be used. So that's uh, update. And like I said, I, I anticipate in a couple weeks, uh, for the update episode, I'll have more to say on all of this 
And I, I'm sure I'll have a, a longer dissertation about, you know, why did it take so long for this trial to even happen if it happens, considering that they brought Steve Pankey to trial uh, in Colorado a lot quicker. You know, why is that? Why could that be? I'll probably get into that a little bit of that in the update episode. But that's the update right now for Zoe Campus's trial uh, or Carlos Rodriguez trial. Rodriguez's trial for the uh, murder of Zoe. And I think all of us in here do believe that it was a murder. I think that if it does go to trial, Carlos is still going to try to um, claim that, you know, he didn't mean to do it or it was self-defense or, you know, or she was hopped up on drugs and he had to do it. And he was afraid that, well, she's on drugs. He's on drugs. He's afraid he's going to get in trouble too. So he just wanted to make it all go away. I'm sure that's going to be tried in a trial if a trial happens. So moving on, um, Amanda Fravel is uh, getting some national attention. Her disappearance from 1986. This is a uh, a disappearance that I know is uh, very near and dear to moderator uh, Cherie's heart. And in fact, this is really the way, Sheree, this is really, um, uh, Amanda's disappearance is how you and I first uh, started communicating, right? Is that, that's the way I remember it. That was the summer of 2018, which I guess now in retrospect is now known as the summer of Tom Brown because I think just a, a week or two before uh, I covered Amanda's disappearance, I covered Tom's and everything that has gone on there since. But Amanda's was right there around the same time. And this is a disappearance from Las Vegas, which then also is kind of, you know, has a special place in, in my mind, given that I used to live there. But she disappeared from there well before uh, I lived there. But I'm just going to read you this. This is from NBC, did a story on her recently. So I'm going to read this and uh, then I'll make some comments afterwards. She had no reason to disappear, Melissa Fravel said of her older sister, Amanda. She was on her own already. 20-year-old Amanda Fravel was reportedly last seen in Las Vegas, Nevada on June 13th, 1986. Melissa, Amanda's sister, told Dateline her sister was supposed to fly home to California that week. She never made it, Melissa said. Amanda and Melissa Fravel were born and raised in sunny California. We grew up in Santa Rosa and Sebastopol. We were outdoor kids. Well, riding bikes and skating. And uh, the sisters were only two years apart, extremely tight, tight knit. We were so close because we came from a rocky foundation. Melinda told a dateline that her parents struggled with alcohol and split up when the girls were young. In 1982, Melissa and Amanda were living with their father and stepmother in Santa Rosa. And, but before long, Amanda had difficulties there. She got kicked out of there. Melissa told dateline, um, and in 1986, the month before she turned 20, Amanda moved to Las Vegas, and she got to Vegas and stayed with her girlfriend from Santa Rosa. You might all remember this now. She was staying with Santa Rosa uh, in, Sandy, uh, in Las Vegas with her friend and the friend's boyfriend, or they eventually got married. And, I, and now that I'm remembering, I got to talk to the guy um, around that time that we did this episode. I remember talking to this guy about uh, Amanda's disappearance. Melissa told Dateline that the woman was a friend of from Amanda's high school. 
and they had a new baby. Mandy liked to hang out with bands and rockers and stuff. Melissa said she ended up moving out. Remember all that? She lived with this guy. In June, Amanda decided to take a break from Las Vegas. She booked a flight back to home to visit her mother, Glenda, and stepfather, Tom. She was due to fly back due to be in San Jose in September or on Saturday, June 14th, 1986. She never showed up. Tom initially thought Amanda might have changed her mind about coming home, but after more than a week of no communication, her mother started to worry. And then Tom told Dateline that Amanda's friends told her mother she was going to hitchhike across town to see her boyfriend before she flew back. Melissa clarified that Amanda and the boyfriend, who is Xavier Romano, this is a guy uh, that I've spoken to a couple times, although not recently. Um, There were no longer a a couple at the time. Dateline attempted to get in contact with Xavier Romano to see if he had any further insight on Amanda's plans that weekend, but were unable to reach him. You can find him on Facebook. He does have a page, uh, Xavier Romano. On June 22nd, Tom and Glenda reported Amanda missing to Las Vegas police, and they didn't do much. Dateline spoke with a public information officer for Las Vegas who confirmed that Amanda was supposed to leave on June 14th through her home, turn home to Gilroy, California. He la- added that he was last, she was last seen by a friend named Lou, who she supposedly was keeping house for and living with at an apartment on South 3rd Street in Las Vegas. This is the infamous or famous Lou Franks. We still aren't sure um, who that guy is all these years later. He said that the time her boyfriend's address were, and name were unknown. Officer Hadfield follow up, follow up in an email to Dateline that, that authorities do suspect foul play in Amanda's disappearance. Uh, Tom told Dateline that just shortly after they reported Amanda missing, he and Glenda flew to Las Vegas just before July 4th. They stopped at a 7-Eleven near Amanda's apartment on South 3rd Street to hang a, a missing persons flyer. There was this older guy, older than me at the time, looking at the flyer, and the man said, that's Mandy. Tom said the older guy identified himself as Lou Frank, Frank, Amanda's roommate. I'm still not sure what to make of that story. I mean, what a coincidence that is. Um, Tom told Dateline the 7-Eleven encounter was the only interaction they had with Lou Frank. He also believes Lou Frank may not have been the roommate's real name. I can certainly believe that. So that is the story that has now gotten uh, national attention through Dateline. Um, and if just to add on to all of that, uh, Xavier Romano, who, once again, he has a Facebook page. You can find him on Facebook. I spoke to him a couple times back then. And his story is that, yes, he thought Amanda was coming over, but she never arrived. And instead, he went to go hang out with some other girl because he and Amanda weren't a couple anymore anyway. And when he didn't hear from her again, he knew that she was supposed to be going back to California. He just thought that she went back to California and that he would hear from her her sometime, but he didn't seem to think it was a big concern because they weren't a couple anymore. Now, I will tell you that is certainly a plausible story. All right. But I will tell you also, on the other hand, that, um, how do I want to put this? Xavier on his Facebook page has a lot of pictures of ex girlfriends on there and with comments about them. Nothing rude, nothing perfectly fine, nothing weird about it. 
But he and, and Amanda were boyfriend and girlfriend. And I think they met, they were working somewhere. They had, they had gotten a job together somewhere working together, and that's how they became a couple. There are no pictures of Amanda on his site, but he has several pictures of other girlfriends from that time on his site. And in fact, you can, it's, you can almost look at the dates that, you know, to be able to tell, cause he writes a little bit about each of these women that what the dates were. So you have these girlfriends that, you know, like in 81, 82, 83, and then there was some other girlfriend in like 84, 85, but from the span of like 86 to just like 88, there's nothing there. There's no mention of Amanda at all. Not one picture of her, not saying that she's missing, no pictures of them together, even though he has pictures of several other women that he was friends with or dated at the time. So there's that. Uh, I don't know what to make of it, um, but I thought that I should add this into all of this. And uh, you know, I don't know what to think of it, uh, I talked to Xavier. Seems to me in the 21st century here that he's had a lot of uh, medical issues. Um, does he have MS or something? Uh, and I think I don't think I'm talking out of school. You know, I usually don't like to talk about people's health issues, no matter who they are. But I think that on his Facebook page, he's fairly public about uh, some of the issues that he's had. But he's uh, had a lot of uh, health problems as he's gotten older. Uh, so, you know, I think he's still alive, but uh, going to his Facebook page just recently after seeing the story coming out, he's not actually posted anything on his um, page for quite a while. Other people have, but he is not. So, and I haven't seen anything that he died. There was nothing on his page like, oh, man, sorry, you know, rest in peace. Nothing like that. So I don't know what's going on there. But I guess what I'm saying here is I'm very open to the idea that Xavier should at least be one suspect of maybe a few for Amanda's disappearance. I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he did it, but, you know, we hear a lot of these kinds of stories. Yes, she was, you know, yeah, she was supposed to come over, but she, she never made it. We hear a lot of stories like that. And then we find out if some of these get solved or a murder disappearance gets solved, that actually the woman did show up. So I don't know. But this Lou Frank guy, I put a lot of time into it. Sheree put a lot of time into trying to track down who this guy could be. And just don't uh, you just don't know even with the 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 power of these databases we have today in the 21st century I'm still not sure i think uh if um uh if i remember correctly uh Cherie, you actually were able to find a particular lou frank who ended up being a sex offender right For some reason that's just in the back of my head somewhere but Cherie is commenting, yes, that's right. We talked a little bit about Kristen Modafferi. That's right, not regularly to Amanda. Then, of course, daily almost with Tom Brown. Right, right. And sure, uh, Cherie goes on to say, I'm glad her disappearance is getting some attention. Aside from Unfound, I don't, I don't know anyone else that's done very much. Yeah, you, 
Yeah, I'd like to see it get some more coverage, maybe some more podcasts um, or something. Yeah. Kathy is uh, there. Tree, all of those places I'd mentioned, NorCal reminded me, Amanda Fravel. I'm familiar with Sebastopol, Santa Rosa, Gilroy. I went to summer camp. Okay, Kathy. Uh, Shree says, I ran an ad looking for anyone that might have known Lou Frank, looked into his family, etc. Xavier did talk to Ed in his defense. That's right. I did. And so nobody answered that ad, nobody knowing this Lou Frank character. Jasmine said, is it the second time Amanda was mentioned on the news? I could have sworn you talked about this last week. If it more news is coming out, great. I don't think I talked about this last week, Jasmine. I don't think so. Uh, Jasmine, last week he mentioned it was going to be featured. There you go. Yeah, so this is the actual story that has finally come out, Jasmine. Thank you for that, Cherie. Uh Marimarstar, a very interesting case. I don't even know about it. So, yeah, that is odd. Yeah, you got to check it out. Amanda Fravel, this is a episode uh, that came out during the summer of 2018, July 2018. Uh, Amanda's sister, Melissa, was, was the guest. And so, Sheree uh, says, I found a guy that could have been Lou Frank that actually ran a brothel one time, but still didn't tie back to Amanda. I now remember that now. So you found that guy that ran the brothel. And there was another guy who ended up being a sex offender or something. Once again, that's still sticking in my mind, Sheree, that could have been connected to Las Vegas. But once again, that might not have even been his real name. You know, just, you know, who knows? And, um, you know, I, I, I still not, you know, sure what to make of it. I mean that though. I don't remember hearing about this on any other podcast and that's good. Yeah. I don't know why I can't explain it. I can't explain why, um, you know, it hasn't been, uh, featured more on other podcasts or other shows. You know, I don't know. But, you know, could wonder about that by a lot of uh, disappearances uh, that we've covered on Unfound. So that's the Dateline article. Maybe you want to Google it, read it for yourself. I kind of just picked out some sentences here in there. The article itself is actually a lot longer. I remember back at the time uh, speaking to both uh, this woman who knew Amanda, who Amanda lived with in Las Vegas, and they're now divorced, but the ex-husband Tom. I spoke to both of them. I remember speaking to Amanda's stepfather. In fact, he sent me a bunch of notes that are over in my file over there that I still have. He sent me all these little thing stuff that he wrote back in 1986, taking notes and everything. But something went on. Uh, and I'm inclined to believe that it was foul play. So, uh, you know, who knows exactly what she could have run into there, but I'm certainly not going to rule out Xavier uh, Romano as a possibility. Mara, this is how things go. Some of them get a bunch of talk and some just don't. I will check out Dateline. Okay, great. Let me answer the question for tonight, and that comes from listener and think tank member Jill. Jill asks me, What do you believe is the best way to organize a missing person's case? Jill always comes up with the uh, original uh, questions. Uh, 
what I would say is this. I think the biggest – here's – you know, just um, – and this has been relevant recently. Um, you know, given that we had a couple investigators recently on uh, that I – who I think are doing fine jobs. Of course, Elaine Graves for Holly White's disappearance. Uh, Bruce with the Pickering Six. And being that, uh, you know, you know, you know, maybe this has been on my mind too. The first thing you have to do when you're organizing a missing persons case is weed out all of the stuff that you believe to be are not facts that are just theories. Okay, first of all. Second of all, what you have to do is weed out anything that is any sort of eyewitness story. I'm not saying throw this stuff away, but you have to put it to the side. You have to really, really, really start with the barest of barest of barest bones of facts. I don't care if it's a disappearance that happened uh, in the era of social media and cell phones and all that or it's a disappearance from 1975. You really, really have to understand, first of all, what do you really, really have? Not what you think you have, but what do you really have that are indisputable facts? This is the biggest issue that I see uh, when maybe I'm talking to people. Like, for example... This uh, woman who is going to who I'm going to interview for this episode that will be coming out in September, she and I have gone round and round and round regarding this disappearance that you know she's become an expert on, really narrowing it down to what is the real facts regarding this. Certain so a lot of people saying a lot of things and sightings and conjecture and everything, but what do we really have? Because you can start to – if you don't do that, you can start to have a lot of confirmation bias where you think what somebody said is true, but there's no facts to bring it up. Because you think it's true, then you start looking at other things in a different way, and that's not really the way any of this should be done. Now, for me, being that I do interviews – you maybe given what I've been doing, it's easier for me to do that because, as you know, I really, 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 really try to keep the conjecture and theorizing and stuff out of it. Now, we did do a little bit with with Elaine once again because she's an investigator. Maybe just to get inside her head a little bit. Did the same thing with Bruce once again to get in his side, inside his head for a little bit. Being that these are two people who have been working on it, they are. In, they're doing this. They are not family members, so maybe they're a little more objective, let's just say. But you really got to um, narrow that stuff down. That is how you organize it. You really make sure you have the hardcore stuff and you put everything else to the side. And then when she, once you think you have a very firm grasp on what the facts are, not what people said. Now, people can say things, and if they can, sh- what their statements can be backed up with facts, then that's great. Say somebody says, Well, I saw this missing person driving away at 11 o'clock you know, at night, 
And if there is some video that shows that person in that car driving away from a restaurant or a school or something at 11 o'clock at night, then of course that witness, eyewitness account is good. But if you don't have anything like that to back it up, I don't know if, if it should be included at all. However, if you have those facts, you have those hardcore facts, then you can start looking at all this stuff that has a lot big more question marks on it. And then maybe you can start thinking that maybe some of it might be true. I don't know if you ever want to think it's absolutely true, but it might be true. That's how I would that's how I would go about organizing. Um, and that you know maybe going back to 2019 when I worked on Cameron Remmer's um disappearance and we, I thought we made some very good headway with that to the point where I think we exposed that these two security guards it sure is crazy none of them neither want to talk and in fact one of them came after me personally calling me a kook and telling Cameron's mother uh, all these strange things you know this is I think if you do things that way this is where you can get to you can make a lot of good progress and instead of getting caught up in what people have said and everything now i did talk and cameron remembers disappearance to the the bellhop there i did talk to this guy who had an encounter with cameron just to see if they were going to say that tell the same thing to me that they told cameron's family you know 10 years ago and they did so in that way i would find them to be believable especially since i kind of reached them on short notice and i don't think they would write down what they said 10 years ago as if they were lying or anything being that they told consistent stories both times. And if they were lying, I don't think they would remember the lie they told to the family. I'm inclined to believe that their stories are true, but as far as organizing it, you really have to make sure you have what you have. I'm inclined to believe that people usually think they have a lot more than they do. I think. I think, um, you know, we might get into a little bit of that, uh, with the disappearance, not for this Friday, but for maybe next Friday. And I'm working on, another, there's going to be a guest on Wednesday who is all going to be a guest for another disappearance surely down the road, maybe in September as well, where, you know, it very well may be that all of the things that are called facts for these disappearances really aren't facts. They're really theories. They're, people just talking and things that have kind of gotten through the grapevine over the years. And it doesn't help that, you know, if a disappearance is fairly old. So, um, uh, what do you, uh, Melissa's, uh, Melissa Frable's DNA is on the NamUs website. Yes. Uh, Kathy says, Jill asked the best questions. Um, Shree says, remember, we also got blocked on that disappearance, you know, with, Oh, with Cameron Remmer. Yeah. Uh, yes. You tried to contact the one security guard. I tried to ta- contact the other security guard. The one security guard said like three or four or five words to you, and that was it. And then the other security guard, I certainly reached him. I called him a few times. He wouldn't call me back. Instead, he contacted um, Cameron's mom and you know said I was some dangerous kook or something, which is crazy. So, But that's what happens when you do good work. So that's what I would say, Jill, for anybody who wants to get into disappearance, 
start investigating or researching one or start gathering information on one, you got to make sure what you have are facts. Do not go down the rabbit hole of believing everything that people say. In fact, I'm inclined to believe that most of what people say is not true. That's where I've gotten to after 260 disappearances. So that is the answer to that, uh, your question there, Jill. Good one. Gotta have the facts first. If there's only one page of them, that's all you got, then that's all you got. That's better than thinking you have facts and that you don't. All right, let's move on uh, to some other things. I want to talk about Olivia Newton-John. Uh, what disappearance? We're talking about the disappearance of uh, Cameron Remmermeyer. That's what Sheree is talking about. Hey, Jill, I just answered your question about organizing. So uh, I don't know if you missed it or not. I want to talk about Olivia Newton-John. Do you know that she is connected to a still unsolved disappearance? She died today. Very sad. Uh, fought cancer for 30 years. I think she was 72 years old. Um you know, I, I can't admit that I was like the biggest fan of her. I never really got into that. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the movie Grease. Uh, the kind of music that she did as a singer, really not up my alley. Seemed like a perfectly fine person. But uh, I found, I, I know this is going to sound crazy. I actually think I enjoyed Grease 2 more than Grease 1. The one with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, the main character. Uh, let's bowl, let's bowl, let's rock and roll. I have to admit, I like Grease, Grease 2 more than Grease 1. I think Grease is a hugely, hugely overrated movie and musical and everything else. Maybe because I'm not from that area. I'm not from the 50s. I don't know. But anyway, um, Olivia Newton-John was in a relationship with this guy. His name is Patrick McDermott. And he actually has his own Wikipedia page for his disappearance. I'll read a portion of it to you. And we're going to get into something that I didn't even realize till today. Sheree knew it. I didn't know it. And so this will be funny. Just hang on for a moment. Patrick McDermott disappeared from a fishing charter boat off San Pedro, Los Angeles. On June 30th, 2006, he was a passenger on the fishing boat Freedom, which had left from San Pedro Marina for a 22-hour overnight fishing trip. McDermott was a frequent client of overnight fishing trips. He booked the trip solo and did not know any of the other 22 passengers or crew. There, were no head, there was no head count on the boat when the passengers disembarked. Some of his personal belongings, including his car keys, passport, and wallet, were found on the boat, and his car was found parked near the marina where he had left it. His absence was apparently unnoticed until July 6th, so a week later, 2006, when he failed to attend a family event. He was reported missing on July 11th, but the story, story did not gain widespread coverage until a month later. A Coast Guard investigative service case was closed on September 15th, 2006. It did not find any evidence of criminal action, suicide, accident, or hoax in the disappearance of McDermott. A separate U.S. Coast Guard Marine safety investigation looking into the conduct of the fishing vessel closed on October 30th, 2006. Both investigations concluded that McDermott was likely lost at sea. So this is a guy that was dating 
Pat, uh, Olivia Newton, John at one time, although I do not know if they were a couple at the time. I think that maybe they had split up. Now, why is this interesting? Well, since then, there have allegedly been all of these sightings of this guy, Patrick McDermott. Now, you should know that Patrick McDermott had some money issues and he had child support that he wasn't paying on, a bunch of things going on with him. Nothing that had anything to do with Olivia Newton-John. It had everything to do with past relationships or other things that he had gotten involved in. There's no allegations that Olivia Newton-John was helping him, you know, defraud anybody or anything like that. And uh, I don't think anybody um, really believes that if he's still out there, that Olivia Newton-John knew where he was. I've never seen anything. I Maybe there's suspicions of that, but I don't think I'm supposed to believe that. But over the years, people have attempted to look for him. And allegedly, you know, he was cited in Mexico. He was cited here. And he was living under a different name. And he had done this because he owed all these people money and and all of this stuff. Well, guess who one of those people was, were, one of the, the, was, who got involved in trying to track Patrick McDermott down. And in fact, this individual claims that he actually did track Patrick McDermott down and that Patrick McDermott did was living after this boating trip. Guess who that person is? I'll give you a couple seconds. Guess who was actually involved back then, 2007, 2008, 2009, that got into this all the hubbub of trying to track down Olivia Newton-John's uh, boyfriend slash ex-lover, whatever he was. Jasmine answers correctly. Phil Klein. Yes, the Phil, same Phil Klein that is now uh, involved in Tom Brown's uh, death. The same guy. Now, Phil Klein, though, claims that he, he uh, from reliable information, that he thought he did believe he tracked down Patrick McDermott. The problem is Phil nor anybody who was working for him ever provided pictures of Patrick McDermott or anything, even though they should have, because Patrick McDermott is a guy who was on the run. He had skipped out on bills that he was supposed to be paying on child support and other things. It wasn't like he just left his life because, you know, he wanted to change his name to John Smith. He had people who he was indebted to, who, um, you know, he should be brought back to the United States to answer for all of this. Well, Phil Klein's claimed that he found them. That's what it says on the Wikipedia page. Now, having said all of that, I will um, read this. This is also from the Wikipedia page. However, Patrick McDermott's ex-wife, Yvette, Disputes Klein's claim. Now, this is not what I'm going to read here is not coming from me. It's coming from uh, Patrick McDermott's ex-wife, Yvette. These are her words about Phil Klein. Yvette disputes Klein's claim that McDermott is alive. In March 2012, so six years after Patrick went missing and a few years before Tom Brown went missing, Yvette wrote to Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos and asked him to stop promoting Klein, Phil Klein's book 
lost at sea. Yvette, the ex-wife, said Klein is a well-known serial liar who is simply looking to be famous at the expense of an unfortunate tragedy in our lives. Now, you should know, the ex-wife was somebody who I think wanted Patrick to be found. And she's saying this about Phil Klein, who allegedly found Patrick. She called us, uh, he's a serial liar who is simply looking to be famous at the expense of an unfortunate tragedy in our lives. Yvette said, although Klein repeatedly promised he would prove McDermott was alive, he never prided, Klein never provided anything whatsoever as proof of life. And Yvette went on to say that her son uh, that she had with Patrick, my son has been through enough emotional torment over this, Yvette wrote. Klein is yet to be, uh, my son is yet to be able to move on due to Mr. Klein's continual effort to keep him in the public eye. Now, I didn't plan on running across any of this today. Olivia Newton-John just died at like noon today or something. But I knew about Patrick McDermott going missing. So I thought, well, it might be interesting to include it in the live show tonight. Little did I know that I would come across Phil Klein's name in all of this. Shree, who knew that Phil Klein had been involved, I did not. (laughs) So I come across this. You never know what you're going to run into. Now, I ask you, does this, uh, you know, I have it written in my notes, at least Phil Klein is consistent. Once again, Patrick McDermott's ex-wife called Phil Klein a well-known serial liar who is simply looking to be famous at the expense of an unfortunate tragedy in our lives. Those are not my words. This is somebody who has dealt with Phil Klein one-on-one. So, uh, yeah, Jasmine guessed it right. Phil K., of course. Sheree says, I wasn't aware she passed away until Ed told me, and I only a fan from Greece, but I remember Phil after I went down the the Phil Klein rabbit hole. Phil Klein, MT, you got it right. Yes, he is. Yes. Um, the Miramar says, uh, definitely interesting. I don't even know. Where did he say he found him at? Well, he said he found him in Mexico. He said he from a reliable source. We believe the source. You have to go to the, the um, I did not print out the entire, I did not copy and paste the entire Wikipedia page. Just do a search for Patrick McDermott on Wikipedia and you'll see all of this. And you'll see what Phil Klein had to say about how he tracked him down. And we have a very reliable source who says that, yes, he was talking to, and we, you know. Does this all sound very familiar? Does not Phil Klein say this exact thing about Tom Brown's death? We have a reliable source, you know, that says that Tom Brown was murdered. And I think a lot of people do believe that Phil Klein continues to keep Tom's name out there and saying all these things just to keep Phil in the public eye. This is over 10 years ago that this happened. And here we are in 2022 kind of talking about the same thing, but with a totally different disappearance. Of course, we now know that it's a death. At least Phil is consistent. Um, it is sad about Olivia Newton-John. Yes, 
Uh, Marlene says, yes, I, re- I remember the man she dated who disappeared and they found him years later. No, they didn't find him, Marlene. That's the point. Nobody found him. You know, I will take the Coast Guard's word over Phil Klein's word anytime. They say that he went overboard. That's what I happen to believe. Um, Puma says, oh, Ed, you're loving the words of the ex-wife. Yeah, I I am loving them because they aren't my own and they're in quotes. (laughs) Those aren't my words. Those are her words. And I am uh, enjoying it. Uh, I, uh, Kathy says, I agree with Yvette's assessment of uh, Phil Klein. I'm guessing Patrick went overboard. Sharice says, sounds familiar. Of course, Mexico. I got to look into this one. Yes, I'm going to look it up. Please do. Anything I ever say on this on this live show, I hope you do look it up. Anything I say on the podcast, I hope you look it up. Please. But no proof. He never offered. He said that Patrick was around. Could offer no proof of it. No pictures, nothing. In an area where people have cameras on, they carry cameras with them right here. And, and even going back to 2009, there were smartphones that had cameras on them. All you have to do is go down to Mexico and take one picture. He couldn't even do that. I don't even know about Phil Klein either. I'm, I'm so not informed. Well, uh, you can get uh, – I think um, – what do I want to say to that comment? I don't even know about this Phil Klein guy either. Well – if you, uh, you need to know a lot about the Tom Brown death, uh, which is a disappearance we covered back in 2018. Uh, yeah. You can't do that. Ha ha. Say found him with no pick or nothing. I agree. I mean, seriously, if you're going to hire somebody to go find somebody and then the person, Oh yeah, I found him. Where's the picture. Where's the video of you talking to this guy. Where's a phone call of you recording. So I can hear the person's voice. Where is it? It's it's disgusting. It's absolutely 100% disgusting. Moving on. So you can look that up. Uh, just thought I'd bring it up given that uh, Olivia Newton-John died. Moving on. Um, I just want to talk for a minute about uh, Anne Heche. Um, once again, uh, talking about another famous person here, uh, she was involved in a very, very bad series of car accidents a couple days ago. Was it yesterday or the day before? And it's, it's kind of a big deal. I, I, I think that Anne Hayes has had some issues over the years with, you know, um, I don't know, bipolar depression, uh, drinking or something, but the reason I want to bring this up is because she was doing a podcast. Now it didn't happen. A lot of people think that this all happened on the same day. It didn't. But you got to realize that uh, Sheree says that Ann H is in a coma. Yeah, if you don't know Ann H on within the last couple of days. She was in a very horrible car wreck. She left the scene with her car. She hit one, a garage, then took off and then ran into somebody's house with her car and it got caught on fire. She had to be dragged out of it. She got severely burned. Horrible. 
But what's getting everybody's attention is she has been doing this podcast with some other woman. And on this podcast, they talk about drinking and, uh, you know, in a very, you know, flippant way. And what comes to mind is that this thing that I have right here that I have my right hand on, this microphone right here, it's a very, very powerful tool. And you have to use it wisely. With, uh, you know, when you put this in front of your mouth and you hit the record button, you know, who knows where your words are going to go and who knows how people are going to be affected by them. That's on my mind when I do this live show. It's on my mind when I do the podcast. It's on my mind when I do the Unfound Now episodes. It's on my mind when I do the shows with Dr. Telesco. That is always on my mind. And for people to get onto a microphone and joke around about being drunk and coming to the microphone drunk and drinking and everything is not what we need in this culture. We have a huge drinking problem in the United States. We have a huge addiction problem in the United States. We have a huge uh, mental issue problem in the United States. We have a huge suicide problem in the United States. And they're all growing. And so to find out that, you know, the only reason I even knew Anne Heche is she was in, what, Donnie Brasco. She played Johnny Depp's wife in that movie. I, I've probably seen her in other things, but I recognize her to see a picture of her. Oh, yeah, I know she is. But you got to be careful what you put out into the world. And, uh, you know, as I have written here, is that what people like and do this, who choose to do this, it's not meant for everybody. You know, you should not be doing a podcast just because you can have a phone, you can have a computer and everything else. There is a certain level of, of responsibility and maturity uh, that needs to come with this, or you're just going to be putting bad things out there. I, I have the example of, um, you know, when the first digital video cameras came out, like right when I started to get into independent filmmaking, like 1999, there was the Canon XL1 and some others. <clears throat> and there was this big idea, oh, you know, filmmaking is going to be democratized. It's going to be a lot cheaper. You don't have to get film anymore. You don't have to get the film developed. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to have these powerful lights, you know, making everything bright so everything gets exposed correctly. This is going to democratize filmmaking. There's going to be everybody's be going to be able to do filmmaking. Well, yeah, but really, all what happened was there were just more bad movies. Filmmaking didn't get better. It didn't get democratized. There were just more bad movies. And so, when it comes to like being in the media, choosing to do a podcast because this is a choice of mine. This, you know, this. Um, this is not like being a parent where you have children and you have an obligation to raise them and 
make sure that they are fed and clothed and go to school and everything else. Doing this is not this. This is a choice. And if you're going to make that choice, there's a lot of things that you have to consider before doing it. And I think this is one of the reasons that when people start asking me about, do you listen to this? Do you listen to that? Most of the time I say no, because probably I have listened to that podcast or something once. And I was just like, I can't listen to it. It doesn't, it's not the right tone. It's not serious enough. These people surely are just doing this because they have a computer and the microphone and for no other reason. So this is what I think about Anne Heche, who was doing a podcast, joking around about drinking and being drunk and, you know, doing all this stuff. And then a few days after doing an episode of this podcast, she probably was drinking and driving and wrecked, not just once, but twice, probably wrecked the first time, was trying to get away and wrecked the second time. Luckily, she didn't kill anybody. So this is, it's just, uh, was it a comedy podcast? Uh, Anne Heche is not known for comedy, I don't think. I, I think it's just one of these things that, oh, podcasting is a thing. We're going to do one. It's, that's what it seemed to me, uh, Charles. That's what it seemed like to me. But I wouldn't even, you know, it's different between Anne Heche doing a comedy podcast and Jerry Seinfeld doing a podcast, a comedy podcast. So... You just got to be careful about this stuff. And I think, you know, some of you know that there are true crime podcasts out there that treat these disappearances and murders as jokes. You know, this is also the kind of stuff that I'm talking about here. So it just caught my eye and I wanted to mention it. I feel horrible for her, but I think it's one of those cautionary tales about you know putting yourself out there, being in the public eye, joking about this thing, and then something that you're joking around about is what you know eventually gets you in trouble. So there's that. Um, what's everybody saying? Uh, Mayor says I know the Tom Brown cast case, but I'm not that much. My mind gets mixed up too. I heard about the Hayes thing, kind of. Uh, really real says she's gonna uh, gonna go back and catch up. That's cool. Yeah, drunk. Uh, Cherie says she's had some issues for a while. She has. Uh, really real says love those arcades in the back. Games in the back. Okay, now I'll pay attention. Great channel. Thank you. Really real. I appreciate it. The Oracle says what you say can change people's lives or be against you or twist it into whatever someone else wants to hear. Yeah, open mouth. Richard says open mouth and start foot. Certainly. Uh, Sharice, uh, Kathy says Sharice sounds, or Sharice sounds like A.H. and H has a troubled past or troubled life. Yeah. Uh, Sharice agrees. Kathy, Marlene. Yeah. Mayor says, uh, that's definitely a sad story. And Hayes and the drunk podcasting thing. Yeah. Not helpful much. Marlene, Kathy, I think I remember that now. Thanks for answering that for me. Charles, once again, um, um, was it a comedy podcast? Like I said, uh, maybe they were trying to be funny. Like I, I'm, I try to be funny on this podcast, but I would never say this live show is a comedy podcast. You <laughs> mean I try to be funny once in a while? Maybe I am. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, lifestyle. The Roracle. I've turned off several podcasts where they joke too much about a serious issue. And nope, this is not for me. Uh, Charles says, thinking be- you're beyond consequences is typical of alcoholics. Thank you, Charles, for that. Thank you. I feel I feel horrible for it. She's in a coma. It doesn't sound like a good sign to me. But you just got to watch what you're putting out into the world. One more uh, story before we uh, – one more uh, news item, I should say, before we uh, move on to this Friday's episode. And that is this – the death of this guy. Uh, night, uh, it was young guy, Jack Elliott. He and his friends were out on a lake in Texas boating, and he went overboard and died. And the story was that, yeah, they were just moving along and, you know, he fell out of the boat somehow and, you know, they, they tried to cruise around while his, his remains were eventually found. Now, you should know, kind of going back to the Pickering Six, the Jack, after he went overboard, did not come back to the surface. Uh, he was found 109 feet down in this lake. So this kind of goes back to the Pickering thing. Would, would their bodies remain on the surface? Would they drop to the bottom? I guess it varies. But his family never bought the story that Jack just happened to fall out of this boat with his friends. And it seems like seemed like his friends weren't telling the entire story. Well, now, uh, here in 2022, the story is now coming out. And it turns out that what actually happened out on that boat, and maybe we might, given that this has been solved, we might think about this in disappearance terms. Maybe. That it turned out that, of course, Jack was not 21. All the other people on the boat were not 21. Well, guess what? Given that I was just talking about Han Hayes and probably she was drinking and driving, all of these young people were out on this boat drinking, cruising along on this lake, and what actually happened was that Jack was out at the front of the boat, which they call the bow of the boat. You know, the, the point of the boat, if you saw Titanic, that's where Jack and what was her name? were out in the front of the Titanic, very famous scene from that movie. Seems Jack was out at the front of this boat. And they were joking around. They were all drunk on this boat. And one of his friends pushed him over the front of the boat. So the direction the boat is moving pushed him over the front of it, not off to the side, like he's standing on the side, push him over, which would be, of course, a lot safer. This guy pushed him over the front of the boat. The boat ran him over, and he got hit by the propeller. And these friends knew what happened. And what did they do? They came up with the story that he just happened to fall over the boat by accident. Yes, he might have gotten hit by the boat or something, but he surely wasn't pushed in. And they cruised around trying to find him. They couldn't find him. But while on their way back into shore, they dumped out all of the alcohol that was in the boat. So this has come up a few times in some disappearances when we start thinking about friends. You know, friends were with this person. These friends really wouldn't cover up that person's disappearance, would they? Well, I guess in the case of Jack Elliott, maybe they might. Maybe there are people out there who would do this.
and it's all coming out now. They're filing wrongful death suits. I, I don't know who exactly eventually spilled the beans, but from day one, Jack's family did not believe that story. They kept working at it, working at it. And now here in 2022, we know what happened, and some people are going to be charged with some things. So you might want to look that up. You can just Google uh, Jack Elliott boating accident. And um, I, I did not uh, print out, and we're, we're running out of time anyway. But you might want to look that up. Jack Elliott, just to maybe give us an idea when we start thinking about some of these disappearances. Person is around friends, and then that person disappears, and all the other friends are like, we just have no idea what happened. Well, maybe we're looking at a situation like what happened with Jack, Jack Elliott. Um, yeah, it's a comedy podcast about disappeared episodes. Yeah, that's really, yeah, Kathy, I remember that. Um, I agree, Kathy, you're right, Ed. Thank God that lady and her pets are alive. She has no home now. Yeah, the, the house of the person Anne Hayes ran into, yes. Oh, well, that, that is terrible. Alcohol can be a problem. I thought she had been going through some things, but wow, I bet this car accident really changed her life in many ways. Well, I'm not even sure she's going to see her and survive. She got burned very, very horribly, Mayor. Sheree uh, says, the timing of that story in the Pickering Six, last night a good friend of mine from high school and his wife were both killed in a head-on collision when the boat with no lights ran into another boat. Oh, with four passengers. Oh, my goodness. They were killed instantly. Pretty sure alcohol was involved. Oh, man. Sorry to hear that, Shereen. Marlene says, look what that Houston nurse that ran the red light in L.A. and killed a few people. Yeah, going 100 miles an hour. Now, maybe there was some mechanical issue, but that would be pretty really, 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 really rare for a, a newer car. If it was a 75 Nova, Nova, maybe I could understand it, but not some new car. Got to believe that maybe the woman had some medical incident or something, Marlene. I'm hoping that it wasn't intentional. Um, uh, yeah, man, drinking and, and boat accidents and car accidents. Come on, people. I just hate to hear about that. So preventable, like the Murdoch son. Yeah. Yeah. So you can look that up. So in our national news tonight, talked about Anne Heche. Jack Elliott, and, of course, this uh, ex-lover, ex-boyfriend of Olivia Newton-John. And, and what do you know? Phil Klein popped up in, in that. Who, who would have thunk it? So let's talk about this Friday. It's the disappearance of Brenda Davidson. We're going the whole way back to 1974. I was about three and a half years old. This disappearance of Brenda Davidson occurred in Woodbridge, Woodbridge Virginia. Her sister, Lisa Davidson, uh, who was only seven at the time, by the way. Uh, Brenda was uh, 13 on the, on the verge of 14. Uh, her sister, Lisa, is the guest. And I don't have a title for it yet. I'll work that out tomorrow as I'm working on the episode and kind of getting a feel of what I want to make, the, what, what's going to be the theme for the Friday's episode. But here's what I can tell you right now. Surely. Andrea Bowman's disappearance is going to get mentioned because I th I'm pretty sure that all of you, once you start listening, once I go through like the summary um, 
or uh, of the case at the beginning before the interview starts. And then when you hear the interview with Lisa, you're going to think this is Andrea Bowman's disappearance 15 years before Andrea went missing. Uh, a teenage girl allegedly ran off after allegedly stealing money from her father. Family really doesn't do much to find out what happened to her. And I think it might even seem to be worse in this situation because Brenda had two sisters that were very close to her in age. And it just seems that you will hear Lisa talk about it, that after Brenda went missing, and there are a couple different stories about what could have happened. But like I said, this is going to remind you a lot of Andrea Bowman's disappearance. I'm telling you that right now. But you're just going to hear how Lisa said, you know, and after what I, the way I remember it, after Brenda went missing, you know, whatever did happen to her, just nobody in her family ever talked about her ever again. Parents, Lou, as a daughter, never mention her name. The sisters don't mention her name. And really things don't, stories don't start to pop up until after the father died in 1985. So that will be the disappearance for this Friday. And uh, everybody should know, everybody sees the Roracle in the chat tonight. The Roracle was the one who uh, was the person who told me about uh, this disappearance and put me in touch with Lisa. So the Roracle, I thank you uh, very much uh, for doing that. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. So that will be the Friday's uh, Friday's episode, the disappearance of Brenda Davidson from Woodbridge, Virginia, on March fourth, nineteen seventy four. So that's it for tonight. Uh, talked about a disc golf, about how I won again. Love that. Uh, these weird birthdays uh, in the time of the Leo. Uh, my hand. I showed you my hand uh, for audio people. I'm sure you couldn't see that. Electric toothbrush. The Pickering six pole. Paul Sanders, uh, this live show is going to get its own feed eventually. Uh, upcoming episodes, Zoe Campos, uh, Amanda Fravel. Uh, we talked about uh, Anne Heche, talked about Jack Elliott, uh, the, seemingly the murder or unintended murder maybe of Jack Elliott. And then Olivia Newton-John's ex-boyfriend Patrick McDermott answered a question from Jill, uh, finished with, uh, this Friday's episode, The Disappearance of Brenda Davidson. That's all I got for all of you. Uh, thank you so much for making time on your Monday night. I hope you enjoy these uh, live shows. I hope you also find them informative. I hope you all enjoy getting to talk to each other, kind of play off each other in the chat. And, uh, of course, you'll see me on Friday if you choose to watch the episode on YouTube. Or you can just listen as well. As Sheree is posting there, keep your head on a swivel. And before you go, give this video a thumbs up. And uh, I'm sure it'll be a very quick week. And you'll see me again here next Monday. It's going to go fast. Good night.